Part four of Antietam National Battlefield, Maryland by Frederick Tilburg. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part four. Appendix The Emancipation Proclamation. On August twenty two, eighteen sixty two, just one month before Abraham Lincoln issued the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation, he wrote a letter to Horace Greeley, abolitionist editor of the New York Tribune the letter read in part i would save the union i would save it the shortest way under the constitution the sooner the national authority can be restored the nearer the union will be the union as it was if there be those who would not save the union unless they could at the same time save slavery i do not agree with them if there be those who would not save the union unless they could at the same time destroy slavery i do not agree with them my paramount object in this struggle is to save the union and is not either to save or destroy slavery i have here stated my purpose according to my view of official duty and i intend no modification of my oft-expressed personal wish that all men everywhere could be free for some months before the battle of antietam as his letter to greeley indicates lincoln had been wrestling with the problem of slavery and its connection with the war he became convinced that a new spiritual and moral force emancipation of the slaves must be injected into the union cause else the travail of war might dampen the fighting spirit of the north if this loss of vitality should come to pass the paramount political objective of restoring the union might never be attained another compelling factor in lincoln's thinking was the need to veer european opinion away from its sympathy for the south a war to free the slaves would enlist the support of europe in a way that a war for purely political objectives could not thus slowly and with much soul-searching lincoln's official view of his duty came to correspond with his personal wish for human freedom the outcome of these deliberations was the emancipation proclamation the federal victory at antietam gave lincoln the opportunity to issue the proclamation a dramatic step toward eliminating slavery in the united states by this act lincoln stretched the constitution to the limit of its meaning his interpretation of presidential war powers was revolutionary it would become a precedent for other presidents who would similarly find constitutional authority for emergency action in time of war more important the proclamation was to inaugurate a revolution in human relationships although congress had previously enacted laws concerning the slaves that went substantially as far as the emancipation proclamation the laws had lacked the dramatic and symbolic import of lincoln's words dating from the proclamation the war became a crusade and the vital force of abolition sentiment was captured for the union cause both at home and abroad especially in england the immediate practical effects of the emancipation proclamation were negligible applying as it did only to those areas in rebellion where it could not be enforced but its message became a symbol and a goal which opened the way for universal emancipation in the future thus the thirteenth fourteenth and fifteenth amendments to the constitution are direct progeny of lincoln's proclamation 
any document with the long-term importance of the emancipation proclamation deserves to be read by those who experience its effects following is the text of the formal emancipation proclamation issued on january one eighteen sixty three by the president of the united states of america a proclamation whereas on the twenty-second day of september a d eighteen sixty two a proclamation was issued by the president of the united states containing among other things the following to wit that on the first day of january a d eighteen sixty three all persons held as slaves within any state or designated part of a state the people whereof shall then be in rebellion against the united states shall be then thenceforward and forever free and the executive government of the united states including the military and naval authority thereof will recognize and maintain the freedom of such persons and will do no act or acts to repress such persons or any of them in any efforts they may make for their actual freedom that the executive will on the first day of january aforesaid by proclamation designate the states and parts of states if any in which the people thereof respectively shall then be in rebellion against the united states and the fact that any state or the people thereof shall on that day be in good faith represented in the congress of the united states by members chosen thereto at elections wherein a majority of the qualified voters of such states shall have participated shall in the absence of strong countervailing testimony be deemed conclusive evidence that such state and the people thereof are not then in rebellion against the united states now therefore i abraham lincoln president of the united states by virtue of the power in me vested as commander-in-chief of the army and navy of the united states in time of actual armed rebellion against the authority and government of the united states and as a fit and necessary war measure for suppressing said rebellion do on this first day of january a d eighteen sixty three and in accordance with my purpose so to do publicly proclaim for the full period of one hundred days from the first day above mentioned order and designate as the states and parts of states wherein the people thereof respectively are this day in rebellion against the united states the following to wit arkansas texas louisiana except the parishes of st bernard paquimenez jefferson st john st charles st james ascension assumption terrebonne la fourche st mary st martin and orleans including the city of new orleans mississippi alabama florida georgia south carolina north carolina and virginia except the forty-eight counties designated as west virginia and also the counties of berkeley accomac northampton elizabeth city york princess anne and norfolk including the cities of norfolk and portsmouth and which accepted parts are for the present left precisely as if this proclamation were not issued and by virtue of the power and for the purpose aforesaid i do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within said designated states and parts of states are and henceforward shall be free 
and that the executive government of the united states including the military and naval authorities thereof will recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons and i hereby enjoin upon the people so declared to be free to abstain from all violence unless in necessary self-defence and i recommend to them that in all cases when allowed they labor faithfully for reasonable wages and i further declare and make known that such persons of suitable condition will be received into the armed services of the united states to garrison forts positions stations and other places and to man vessels of all sorts in said service and upon this act sincerely believed to be an act of justice warranted by the constitution upon military necessity i invoke the considerate judgment of mankind and the gracious favor of almighty god supplementary the bloodiest day of the civil war the battle of antietam or sharpsburg on september seventeenth eighteen sixty two climaxed the first of confederate general robert e lee's two attempts to carry the war into the north about forty thousand southerners were pitted against the eighty seven thousand man federal army of the potomac under general george b mcclellan and when the fighting ended the course of the american civil war had been greatly altered after his great victory at manassas in august lee had marched his army of northern virginia into maryland hoping to find vitally needed men and supplies mcclellan followed first to frederick where through rare good fortune a copy of the confederate battle plan lee's special order number one nine one fell into his hands then westward twelve miles to the passes of south mountain there on september fourteen at turner's fox's and crampton's gaps lee tried to block the federals but because he had split his army to send troops under general thomas j stonewall jackson to capture harper's ferry lee could only hope to delay the northerners mcclellan forced his way through and by the afternoon september fifteen both armies had established new battle lines west and east of antietam creek near the town of sharpsburg when jackson's troops reached sharpsburg on the sixteenth harper's ferry having surrendered the day before lee consolidated his position along the low ridge that runs north and south of the town the battle opened at dawn on the seventeenth when union general joseph hooker's artillery began a murderous fire on jackson's men in the miller cornfield north of town in the time i am writing hooker reported every stalk of corn in the northern and greater part of the field was cut as close as could have been done with a knife and the slain lay in rows precisely as they had stood in their ranks a few moments before hooker's troops advanced driving the confederates before them and jackson reported that his men were exposed to near an hour to a terrific storm of shell canister and musketry about seven a m jackson was reinforced and succeeded in driving the federals back an hour later union troops under general joseph mansfield counter-attacked and by nine o'clock had gained some of the lost ground then in an effort to extricate some of mansfield's men from their isolated position near the dunker church general john sedgwick's division of edwin v sumner's corps advanced into the west woods their confederate troops struck sedgwick's men in both flanks inflicting appalling casualties 
meanwhile general william h french division of sumner's corps moved up to support sedgwick but veered south into confederates under general d h hill posted along an old sunken road separating the roulette and piper farms for nearly four hours from nine thirty a m to one p m bitter fighting raged along this road afterwards known as bloody lane as french supported by general israel b richardson's division also of sumner's corps sought to drive the southerners back confusion and sheer exhaustion finally ended the battle here and in the northern part of the field generally southeast of town union general ambrose e. burnside's troops had been trying to cross a bridge over antietam creek since nine thirty a m some four hundred georgians had driven them back each time at one p m the federals finally crossed the bridge now known as burnside bridge and after a two-hour delay to reform their lines advanced up the slope beyond by late afternoon they had driven the georgians back almost to sharpsburg threatening to cut off the line of retreat for lee's decimated confederates then about four p m general a p hill's division left behind by jackson at harper's ferry to salvage the captured federal property arrived on the field and immediately entered the fight burnside's troops were driven back to the heights near the bridge they had taken earlier the battle of antietam was over the next day lee began withdrawing his army across the potomac river more men were killed or wounded at antietam on september seventeenth eighteen sixty two than on any other single day of the civil war federal losses were twelve thousand four hundred and ten confederate losses ten thousand seven hundred although neither side gained a decisive victory lee's failure to carry the war effort effectively into the north caused great britain to postpone recognition of the confederate government the battle also gave president abraham lincoln the opportunity to issue the emancipation proclamation which on january one eighteen sixty three declared free all slaves in states still in rebellion against the united states now the war had a dual purpose to preserve the union and end slavery end of supplementary text end of a part four End of Antietam National Battlefield, Maryland by Frederick Tilburg